Finito. It's perfect. Oh. Uh, you'd be nice without long hair. Now it's cool. Hmm? It's, cool. It's, it's just what I wanted. <laughs> Grazie. Now, why you not come dancing tonight with me? Hello and welcome to You Should See the Other Guy, the podcast where we watch a romantic comedy featuring a choice of lovers and tell you why the protagonist who chose someone picked wrongly. I'm Jennifer. I'm Samantha. And I'm Sadie. I'm a little Sadie. Mushroom Well by Corey. (laughs) I had to mute myself because I was literally screaming. Like, (laughs) I'm. First of all, why is that the best song I've ever heard in my life? Second of all, how is Corey not a professional? Is she a professional singer and you've just been keeping? Is this a hot Hannah Montana situation? It is uh, a secret talent of hers that I think, uh, Sadie, I think you're her muse. <laughs> I'm, I always knew muse was, was my, was my end career. I thought she was doing a pretty good, like Ben Gibbard, like Gibbard Gibbard. Is that like the gif-gif debate? But anyway, I thought she sounded death cab-esque in Mushroom Well. You would be correct. Damn, play it again. (laughs) Just a little sample. Just a little taste. I'm a little Sadie. Come and get me. I have my lighter. I'm waving it back and forth like I'm in a concert of 500,000 people. I fell in. I'm I'm showering her with seeds. And I can't. Flax, Chia. Corey just wants it to be known that you dictated the lyrics to that song yourself and demanded that you be introduced that way. So I just want our listening audience to know that um, that you think you deserve that much fanfare at the start of that episode. <laughs> you know what? I didn't think so before, but actually now. <laughs> but actually now, if I don't have a different musical intro every single episode, then I quit. It's tough to work with Sadie, you guys. She's she's a bit of a diva, but she's worth it. Well, today we're talking about Roman Holiday. I don't know what year this was. Um, does anyone know? Nineteen fifty-three. Yes. What a year. <laughs> anyway, and I've been tasked with summarizing Roman Holiday, which I'll do. This was quickly. the year my dad was Audrey born. Hep- ha! Oh, dang. <laughs> My parents were born around then, too. Yeah. Good time for parents to be born. Good Good time time for for movies to be made. Good time for Audrey Hepburn to look hot. (laughs) Yeah. She really, like, managed that all along, didn't she? Kept it on This was her breakout role, yeah? Yeah. This was, like, (laughs) the first time people... I mean, she was in stuff before this, but this was, like, wow. Awooga Audrey Hepburn, right? Yeah. Like, I was reading her whole Wikipedia entry last night and like i knew some of the basic facts but i was agog like damn what a life well in this movie audrey hepburn plays princess anne who apparently hails from the same mysterious european country as the prince in netflix's the christmas prince 
uh, Cordovia, <laughs> I think. She is on a diplomatic tour of Italy, currently in Rome, and her advisors are fussing over her, controlling her every move and word, and force-feeding her milk and crackers before bed. Anyway, she's throwing kind of a bit of a fit about how buttoned down her life has to be. So naturally, her doctor comes in and just shoots her up with a bunch of morphine. (laughs) And then she (laughs) flees the embassy and wakes up under the influence on a bench where our man, unproblematic king Gregory Peck, playing Joe, an expat American reporter, discovers her. Joe has her stay over at his small apartment without knowing who she is yet and goes to work the next morning and lies to his editor about having already interviewed Princess Anne, not realizing that the news has already broken that Anne is quote unquote ill, aka she has vanished and the secret police uh, from Cordovia are all out looking for her. But then he sees a picture of her, puts two and two together, and hatches a grand scheme to interview and photograph Anne without her consent uh, so that he can sell it as an exclusive to his news service and get enough money to go back to New York and work for what he calls a real paper. Joe and his photographer friend Irving Uh, And Anne spend a charming Instagram influencer day in Rome, eating gelato, riding Vespas, sipping coffee at sidewalk cafes, doing the mandatory Coliseum visit. Anne also gets her hair cut very short by a spirited Italian man who invites her to go dancing on some barges on the Tiber River, where the secret police eventually catch up with all of them. Anne and Joe escape after beating the shit out of the cops in an action sequence that is hands down better choreographed than any Marvel fight scene ever has been. Uh, Uh, Retweet. (laughs) Thank you for your endorsement. That was, that was some Sadie bait thrown in the summary. Um, They they kiss, they smooch, but then Anne is like, I have to go. And we see her refuse her milk and crackers back at the embassy, which is meant to signal how assertive she's become as a result of her Roman holiday. Anyway, the next morning, boss man comes by Joe's place and is like, where's my interview? And Joe, because he caught feelings, is like, there's no story. I can't tell the story. So then he goes to a press conference for the princess in a scene that modern viewers might be primed to expect will be a Notting Hill-esque moment where the princess uh, leaves royalty and publicly professes her feelings for the commoner. But alas, although they exchange some coded sentimental language about their day together, Anne just goes back to being a princess, and Joe stands there, and he stands there, and he stands there, and then the movie is over. And that's Roman Holiday. He takes a super long walk back out of the building, like with the vaulted ceiling over his head. Then it's the end. (laughs) A nice... (laughs) It's it's very like, you know, indie movie ending, you know, very bittersweet. Yeah. Almost shockingly so, considering this was kind of the golden era of like these classical rom-coms. Because, I mean, this was one year before Sabrina, which I'm sure we'll talk about just briefly later on. Sadie, have you seen this many times? I Absolutely, yes. <laughs> I have. I don't watch it as often as um, other rom-coms just because, I mean, it is so wonderful, but it's kind of, as you said, it's very bittersweet. And so I have to be in a very 
particular mood in order to just be like, God, this is the best movie in the world. Um, But when it hits, man, it hits. She's got to be down the mushroom well already. And then (laughs) that's when she wants to watch Roman Holiday. (laughs) Yeah. Sadie, I hope you apply that in your life, that the mushroom well is like a specific mood you can be in. (laughs) It's... (laughs) It's a place where I enjoy seeds and I really vibe with Roman holiday. (laughs) What, what about you guys? Have you both? Well, Jen hasn't seen it before. Um, but Samantha, you have. Nope. I have seen it once in the distant past and mostly remember the patter between Gregory Peck and Audrey Hepburn as they cart around Rome. I didn't remember how it ended. So that was actually oh. kind of like surprising to me rewatching it. Um, and of course, you know, watching it as a grown up, you're able to see finer things in the performances and in in the writing that make it really special. It's a very uh, it's a very special movie, and I think maybe yeah. one of the most romantic movies of all time. And despite having certain things about it that can feel really conventional today, it still manages to be like really unique and surprising. Yeah, I what I love about this movie is that they. You know, it has this very themed plot. You know, it's like the prince and the pauper, princess and the pauper, as it were. Um, You know, the journalist runs into the celebrity, the object of everyone's eye, and kind of takes her around. You know, it's very, it is very Notting Hill. It's been done since this movie quite a lot, but neither of them feel like caricatures. You know, that she is a princess, but she also is Anne. She's her own person. And same with um, with Joe. And it's just, you find yourself really just rooting for these characters and genuinely falling in love with them as they fall in love with each other. I love this movie. <laughs> Jen, were you charmed by it? I was, and also was it? Isn't the what? I don't know. I was. Um, it, it raised a welter of of different lines of questioning for me. I guess. <laughs> Does that make any sense? Um, Tell us more. So this is my first Audrey Hepburn movie. I have ever watched ever in my 35 years of that life. Is, you've said wow. that multiple times to us. And yet every time it's like the first time <laughs> it's shocking. I feel like you have to be trying to avoid Audrey Hepburn at this point. <laughs> well, I kind of was, I think in a way, um, there's something about her, uh, look and effect and how, um, and on, this is through, since my, my, you know, I, I knew a little bit about Audrey Hepburn before and then refreshed myself via the Wikipedia page before recording this podcast. But I mean, she can't help that she's like a tiny, skinny person. But she and Twiggy uh, in the, you know, a little bit later in the 60s really kind of ushered in that super tiny person aesthetic that still plagues us uh, today 
in, um, I guess, celebrity culture and expectations for normal women. And there was sort of like this and like the gamming look that somehow, I guess, in my own personal like family with uh, like, I thought I thought a lot about one of my grandmothers and aunts while I watched this movie who are American and not British, but sort of what. And I think that I just sort of resented what I felt the image of Audrey Hepburn meant to me or stood for a Mm. little bit without really recognizing that or delving deeper into it. Yeah. No, I I was reading some quote. I think it might have been from the director or from some like film commentator at the time, like actually kind of terrible quote that was talking about how like Audrey Hepburn's body type had never been like shown on screen to that point. Like they wanted a girl who was like a contrast to like the Italian film like beauty. And they were like, she was perfect. Perfect. She had no tits, no ass, and she was tiny or something like that in a way that you can picture some terrible guy in the 1950s describing her or something. Yeah. But in in the way these things go by proposing a different body ideal, that just became the body ideal for the next, you know, 30 years or whatever before we flip-flop back to some unrealistic way people are supposed to look <laughs> instead of just letting people have bodies that are shaped like whatever the fuck their bodies are shaped like. Exactly. And it's... It's no fault of Audrey Hepburn's. Like, she was who she was. She looked like what she looked like. Like, she, I do not think, was like, I'm going to be born this way and then (laughs) severely malnourished during the German occupation of the Netherlands during my youth and then instigate a reign of thinness upon women in the Western world, you know, there on out. Also, apparently, she was a huge hit in Japan. Her haircut from this movie, like, majorly took off there afterwards. Jen, you know the most about Audrey Hepburn of any person who has never seen an Audrey Hepburn movie on planet Earth. I'm confident in saying that. Well, that's kind of my MO with like celebrity culture anyway. Like I usually don't watch their movies. I just know about their like, you just know everything you know, about avatar-ish them. images in the real world. <laughs> you read Playboy for the articles, you know. You, uh... Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I was thinking about this as well, that like, because when I was um, younger, like, you know, 10 to 17 or whatever, um, Sabrina was a top five favorite movies of all time. I'm sure that it will, well, it, it might re, re, reclaim a top five spot after I watch it um, in the near future because I, I haven't seen it in quite some time. But during that era of my life from 10 to 17, terrible body image, terrible body image. And so I, I didn't really enjoy watching women on screen that looked like Audrey Hepburn, because it made me feel really bad about myself, except for Audrey Hepburn. Because it was like Audrey Hepburn was just so like, like, she just had a body type that was just like, so wildly like no one had a body like Audrey Hepburn. And and she just had such a unique look about her like her really statement eyebrows and like the way that she talked and just like this winsome look about her the sparkle of her eye like she was just a wonderful actress that like I just loved watching on screen I also definitely had a crush on her so I'm sure that also contributed to this but yeah I I totally get what you're saying Jen I just (sighs) 
I love Audrey Hepburn so much. I also have Audrey Hep. I also have Roman Holiday playing right now on my TV on silent. I have it playing. <laughs> just so, so you I, need the yeah. vibes, yeah. Sadie. We all should have it. I feel like it's it's coming through to us as well. I can feel it. Sadie, you're like Mr. Big in Sex in the City too. Just watching your black and white movies. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Chris Noth back so to the podcast. Is his name Mr. Big? I've never seen the the franchise. I think okay. I for completely forgot John until Atoje Abbott Preston. Whoa, you know his middle name. I remember John Preston. Okay, well, and it only came up Mr. right Bay. in the last episode of the dick? whole because they <laughs> they. <laughs> it's her like pseudonym for him like in the column. His dick and also his like position in life or whatever his businessy stuff like. Is there a Mr. Yeah, he's like a big and shot. Mr. Small? <laughs> Mr. Small. <laughs> There's a I Mr. Dad am. from To All the Boys. There's a Mr. Oh, Woodworker. Was- <laughs> and <laughs> Mr. Post-It, who was also like uh, in, you know, Burger. Was that his name on Sex and the City? Or oh, was yeah. That his name Office in Space the one where they guy, right? The- Office Space. That's what I'm thinking of. Also, doesn't she date like Justin Theroux at one point? Or is that oh, a false my memory? God. No, I think she absolutely does. I had forgotten completely about him because I was thinking about when the guy who plays Roger Sterling was a politician who wanted her to pee on him. Oh, that's right. But did he want to pee on Carrie or did he want to pee on Samantha? I'm mixing it up. I think it was Carrie. I think think that he wanted Carrie to pee on him. Did you want him to pee on you, Like he was prepared to lie down in (laughs) the bathtub. Not Roger Sterling, no. (laughs) Like, like Roger Sterling didn't even want to pee on Carrie. Okay. And this is like going back to, I was like 17 when I watched this and now I'm 35. So I may be misremembering, but I'm pretty sure that Roger Sterling wanted to like lie down in the bathtub and have Carrie pee on him. Mm. Not even him to pee on her, but Carrie, who was a sex columnist, freaked out about how that was the most like demented and perverted thing she had ever heard and like had to go consult with her friends and then eventually break up with him about it. Yeah. Sex columnist sure also famously troubled by the uh, the existence of bisexuality. <laughs> she was like, what is this oh, yeah. crazy new thing? <laughs> Oh, Carrie. Uh, I don't know. But you know, the priest from A New York Christmas Wedding, we got to give him his props because he was playing a real asshole character on Sex and the City. But I did want him to end up with Carrie at the end because their chemistry was really fire. But uh, Sadie, you will hate this. <laughs> I'm sure the conflict in Sex and the City too is that is that... Chris Noth likes to stay at home, eat, take out, and watch old black and white romance movies. And Carrie Bradshaw, who at this point is, I think, probably like almost 60 by the time Sex in the City 2 is being filmed, <laughs> is like, we never go out to movie premieres and gala events and black tie dinners anymore. Why don't you take me out every night? And Chris Noth is like, I don't know. We love each other. Let's just cuddle and watch movies. And it's Sparks a crisis that lasts two and a half hours of maybe the worst film ever made. So it's kind of the anti Sadie well, right. movie. You were right. It is an anti Sadie <laughs> movie. And Roman Holiday may be one of uh, one of the movies that they that they watch in bed together. 
and a worthy choice from our boy, Chris Noth. Good job, Chris Noth. Right right off of the bat, I'll just say really quick that the longing of these two characters is chef's kiss. You couldn't see me do that, but I did the little chef's kiss. It's, it is in, in, pack, in, wait, hold on. I'm doing a wordplay. In Gregory Peckable. <laughs> <laughs> I got rid of the like uh, the drums for uh, for after jokes, so you're stuck with ballpark noise. But well done, a worthy pun. Damn, that was a good one. I I like to see that it's all at the level of like subtext. Like, they never once really have a conversation about how they feel about each other. It's just, like, exists at the level of performance. And I love that. I think that it kind of works in a way that was a bit frustrating to me watching this from the 21st century as... And, like, I want to preface this by saying, though, going back to my comments about my feelings about Audrey Hepburn before and what I perceived, like, her image meant and kind of stood for, you know, to me that I seeing her in action in this though I got it I was like oh like like Sadie said oh sorry about the clock Jen are you sitting underneath a cuckoo clock <laughs> I thought that that was a, a, I thought that, that was a sound effect of, of Samantha <laughs> I didn't know you were in a haunted mansion Jen <laughs> um Justin uh, fixed the clock and (laughs) now it tells us what the hour is i thought that i was gonna be really slick and just like manage to not be talking and mute myself but i did not notice that now it is 7 p.m here and the clock let us know (laughs) is it a grandfather clock a cuckoo clock what kind of clock uh it says regulator on the front and it's got like a you know one of the little click clock things that like slices you in half if you're in like an old scary movie it's not a grandfather clock it's not like to the it hangs on the wall it's kind of large but it doesn't like sit on the floor so anyway any clock aficionados amongst us now clearly know what type of clock this is welcome to clock cast <laughs> we're your hosts samantha sadie and jen <laughs> Ready to bring you the freshest clocks from the last century. But what were you saying before we we got clocked? I was talking about Audrey Hepburn and, you know, how I kind of had like just a still static star image of her in my mind. And this is the first time I've actually seen her act and, you know, be in a movie and stuff. And like, well, some of it is a little over the top ridiculous, you know, when she's doing her, but I mean, honestly, fair. If I had to go to like 15 appointments in one day back to back, I would probably like flail around on a bed in that same fashion. So who is to say that that's over the top, you know, maybe not me, but no, she just really is super charming and yeah, does great facial expressions. And it's really uh, cute. not the word. I don't know. It's really engaging the way that she goes from her like prim and proper self to when she's alone with Gregory Peck and you know behaves a little more familiarly with him so anyway yeah I'm an Audrey Hepburn stan now yeah (laughs) she she won me over she's kind of like watching like 
she's kind of like watching a cat where it's like there are moments where you're looking at her and it's like, wow, you're so statuesque and like beautiful and graceful. And then there are moments where you're looking at her and you're like, you're the cutest, most awkward, clumsy creature alive. And she manages to like encompass all of that at once in a way that I think most of the great rom-com actresses do like, uh, like Meg Ryan. I'm not saying Meg Ryan's an Audrey yeah. Hepburn, but I think she she does some of the same kinds of expressions. And I and- think, and I, no, I think Meg Ryan is a super awesomely great comparison here, actually, Samantha, to the roundabout point I'm trying to like articulate in my mind that I think this movie really super works um, because I was reading about the trivia that originally the director wanted to cast um, Elizabeth Taylor and then did Audrey Hepburn instead. And this is also getting into, you know, like my my image of Elizabeth Taylor in my mind is more of a slightly older Elizabeth Taylor, you know, associated with some of her more iconic roles and what she's more, her, her celebrity image is all about, you know? But I definitely perceive her as a more overtly sexual figure. And I guess that Audrey Hepburn and Gregory Peck in this, that it was a little bit frustrating to me as a, uh, I guess, a fanfic, you know, lover, that I felt like they didn't have like a super incredibly like we want to rip each other's clothes off and bone right now chemistry with each other. But I don't think that this movie would have been served by that. It's very rom-com-y in like the the Meg Ryan rom-com style, you know, like you're, you were saying, Samantha, that it's mm-hmm. like super PG, that they like nail the longing, but like the sex part is not really even an issue. <laughs> You know, does that make like, there's like the scandal that somebody could find out that she had stayed in his apartment, but like they made it very clear that like they did not bone and it was innocent. I guess, you know? Yeah. yeah. And like Audrey Hepburn makes that work in a way that would be really weird if it was somebody else. And like, I think especially if you compare this movie to like any of the trashy rom-com movies that we've watched from like you know, the early 2000s, um, <laughs> like Just Friends, you know, Just Friends, incredibly raunchy, tons of sex jokes and like weird sex things. And yet it doesn't have like even a tenth of the of the romantic chemistry and the like sexual tension that that Joe and Anne have in this movie. Yeah, the Vesper ride is the sex scene, you know, like... <laughs> I kind of felt sort of like though um, and I also thought because of the the ending scene since we watched Notting Hill so recently there's such a direct parallel there but that obviously these are both very beautiful people and you know they smooch at the end and stuff before they have to part but it's really like a I don't know like them sort of falling in love with seeing that there is a person behind their station but that's it that's as far as they go does that make sense like there's no further they don't take it any farther than that at all it's not like necessarily a personality mesh beyond wow you're a princess but you're actually a really cool person who's fun to hang out with and like wow you're a good guy and it was really kind of you to spend this day with me and not take advantage of me and that's super awesome of you and they had one super beautiful day together and then they go back to their lives 
Yeah, I think that's why the ending works for me as much as, you know, the shameless rom-com fan in me would just want them to run away together. It's like, I think this is a uh, like a, a flashpoint, like a, a point of contact where their lives are going to look different afterward uh, as a result of having met each other. But I don't see it as like, oh, they must end up together. Um, although I can certainly make the case for that on this podcast if <laughs> I have to. Well, we probably will since we're like arguing for the other guy here. Right, who is Gregory Peck versus familial the queen. and patriotic <laughs> <Yeah>. duty? <laughs> I I love the but the yeah no where, I think that's why it worked for me too yeah like I love the part where she you know I think that this movie would have not been as successful or as impactful you know if they hadn't if they had ended up together and I also love the scene where she returns and I think I can't remember her exact phrasing but she's like if it wasn't for she's like you know watch yourself because if it wasn't for my country and my people I wouldn't have come back I wouldn't be here right now you know like I think that yeah like she tells that one dude in the road yes and again, all Audrey Hepburn there, he's like, you must be mindful of my duty. Like, and she's like, listen, bitch, don't talk to me about duty because I wouldn't be here right now if I weren't committed to it. Now go to bed. We'll get back to the schedule in the morning. No crackers for me. Fuck your milk and crackers. <laughs> <laughs> Alternate title for Roman but- holiday that the Hayes Code wouldn't allow to happen. Yeah, <laughs> Fuck she your says milk it so crackers. gracefully. <laughs> Can we talk about how, like, I'm I'm so relieved that Cary Grant passed on this and it ended up in oh my God. with Gregory Peck. Because I feel like Cary Grant, we, we've seen him in these types of roles many times, would have made the role more condescending than it had to be, you know? Yeah. Of like, oh, you silly little princess. <laughs> Let me show you my hard scrabble life in Italy where I have to, you know, <laughs> eat takeout every day <laughs> in Rome. He would have made it chair. so like dude yeah he would have made it so slapstick no wonder you can't afford your rent my guy (laughs) and instead Gregory Peck is like there's comedy in him being like sure let's do whatever you want today because you know he's got the ulterior motive but it's it feels more gentle hearted coming from him just because he he generates such a like a a pleasant good aura uh even when he's being a little shady. And he has this good natured (laughs) quality to him. Like he's very unassuming, you know, he's not like Cary Grant. He always plays his characters so big, which works for some movies. Like it definitely worked for his girl Friday. But in this case with this movie, Gregory Peck was the perfect choice. And also I'm sure that I've mentioned this um, whenever I get a chance to, but as much as I do love Cary Grant's movies and I love his his style of acting, I think it works really well for the movies that he was in. I don't find him attractive in the slightest. Whereas Mr. Peck, that's a different story, Mama. <laughs> he's like Superman, huh? He's like uh, he he's like so he's like big as a door frame and then like is apparently like a gay rights champion and disagreed with the pope on abortion or some some i I was seeing all these messages you were sending about how gregory peck was like probably one of the more progressive actors in hollywood in the mid-20th century yeah sadie like you're getting us all to stan gregory peck 
I gotta go read about him myself. He was, um, let me see, let me find, this was cited in his Wikipedia. Um, he said, I don't always agree with the Pope. There are issues that concern me, like abortion, contraception, the ordination of women, and others. I think the church should open up. And then it goes on to say, certainly Greg's unequivocal support for gay rights pitted him in direct opposition to the Pope. And in 1997, as a presenter at the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation Awards ceremony, he said, it just seems so silly to me that something so right and simple has to be fought for at all. So needless to say, um, King, love him, rest in peace, pour one out. He was perfect. <laughs> like, damn. Audrey Hepburn as Princess Anne said, fuck your milk and crackers. Gregory Peck said, gay rights. fuck you, the Pope. Gay rights, abortion rights, feminism. <laughs> Sadie, you suggested we turn the podcast into a seance to try to contact Gregory Peck. Uh, <laughs> And I was actually on oh, board why with the is idea. <laughs> Sadie wants to ask Gregory Peck why he is dead. <laughs> I, I have like not looked up his cause of death. So I'm also curious. I don't have any candles here. I should have prepared them. I've never done a seance before. Have you, Samantha? Uh, no, but I had to think about it because I've done many I feel silly, like... silly things in my life. Not that seances are necessarily silly. <laughs> if I was going to do it with anybody, it would be with you two. Like, I would be scared to do a seance with another group of people. But Sadie would be very pure and wholesome and surely any evil spirits that cross over won't do anything bad to Sadie. Samantha knows how to function if a horror movie happens. And I mean, I could just like make some jokes, you know? So surely any seance we do would go quite well, right? I used Ouija boards <laughs> multiple times. I've used them tons of times in homes, cemeteries, abandoned wasteland house you know houses so i feel damn i feel quite did anything happen no there was one time where where we really thought but i think it was just us it was it was just us you know like you get to a point where you're holding the little ouija board triangle for like an hour and then it like moves a little bit and it's like no it's just exhaustion and fatigue of your of your little phalanges that's causing it to move um where did where did he die where did how close am i to his ghost he died in los angeles at the age of 87 in his sleep from bronco pneumonia and his wife veronique who he met uh when she interviewed him about roman holiday uh, was what? by his side. What? He was, they of were still course. together for that long. King Gregory shit. Peck, a fucking feminist gay rights king. King shit. God. He had, he had some marriages and affairs before then, but Veronique lasted. Veronique had staying power. They were a pair. She was a Paris news reporter, Wikipedia says, who interviewed him in 52 before he went to Italy to film Roman Holiday, uh, and they became inseparable when he asked her to lunch six months later. Greg. You'll be pleased to know he had a star-studded funeral, Sadie. Attendees included Lauren Bacall, Sidney Poitier, Harry Belafonte, Harrison Ford, Callista Flockhart, uh, Lionel Richie, etc. Angelica Damn. Houston. Well, you know, the Pope really should have showed up. <laughs> I'm a little offended on Gregory Peck's behalf. The Pope probably did show up to like spit on his grave and be yeah. like, take that, Greg. 
<laughs> to excommunicate him posthumously. <laughs> um, I, Gregory I that- Peck just smiled from the grave because he knew that we would respect him now and not the Pope. <laughs> um, I read that on in, during Audrey Hepburn's funeral in 1993, Greg Greepeck read a poem tearfully while crying. And I, I just, they, they stayed very good friends after this movie, after Roman holiday, which I think is, is truly wonderful. And I, I think that you can tell on screen that not only, you know, they do have romantic chemistry, but you can tell that they just genuinely are entranced by each other's existence you know, so I definitely that makes sense to me that they ended up becoming lifelong friends after the film ended. Sadie, in in addition to having written the script for The Ugly Truth, which I still strongly suspect you of, I think it's probably <laughs> your destiny in life to write a script in which like a, a cyborg reanimated Gregory Peck goes <laughs> to war against the Vatican. <laughs> With his wit, not even bullets. <laughs> and it, it can have like winking references to like old Gregory Peck movies. Like, you know, someone can be like, how are you going to infiltrate the Vatican? And they'll point to like a tank and he'll be like, no. And they'll point to like, you know, a helicopter and he'll be like, no, I'm going to use that. Camera pans over. It's a Vespa, you know, like... <laughs> Oh, and have at least I one mean, Terminator damn, I'm scene. in. I want to see this. For no reason other than <laughs> it just would fit so well. Somebody has to like whack a Vatican security guard over the head with a guitar. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So so let's see. Who, who are our other guys in this scenario? Because going into it, I was thinking that Gregory Peck was the guy and then he would be exempt from our other guy situation. But then Jen brought up that, you know, she technically doesn't end up with Gregory Peck, at least not that we see. Um, so he would technically be one of the other guys, correct? Yeah, I think we have a suite of options. I think Gregory Peck is the other guy because she chooses queen and country at the end. I think let's save Gregory Peck for our other guy dessert and start with the lesser options. The barber or Irving, The the photographer. Where it's like you start with the barber. He doesn't even have a character name. <laughs> the barber or the photographer. Um, he was very nice. I, yeah. What? You all are fucking tripping. <laughs> if some barber acted like that to me, like when he started cutting my hair, even if he was like really nice and complimentary, by the time he finished cutting my hair, I would be like, "Okay, bye." I'm, See you never. <laughs> first off, he's the only barber I've ever encountered who um who actively resists cutting a woman's hair shorter. Maybe this was a sign Samantha, of the times, but every time I get my live? hair cut, I have had this happen like, at Smart Cuts. You're going short. You have to go short. You your hair has to be shorter, and it's like, nah. Let my hair be what I want it to be. Oh my god! In the American South, like hair hair cutting professionals will fight you over cutting your own dead ass split ends off. 
Like <laughs> you, you must stand strong. So I did. I was with Audrey in this scene. I have lived that being like, no, cut it. One time, I yeah, and like literally like the smart cuts because I went in there one day because I was like, I just can't take my hair anymore. I want it to be a pixie cut. She was like, well, these highlights you must have had within the past year must have been expensive. And I was like, fuck you. That's none of your business. Cut my fucking hair off like I asked. I'm a billionaire. I I can get highlights (laughs) whenever I want. I mean, you know, I was getting a $15 haircut. This was in 2011 when I fought with this woman. She did cut my hair off. It did look good at the end. So, hmm. but yeah, no, I did think that that was like, and I'm sure that it was probably worse in the 50s. But like, dude, the barber had pictures of the short haircut she wanted on the front. And that's why she went in to the place in the little beaded curtains. And then he got super mad that she wanted to cut her hair off. Yeah, it was all part of the dance, though. You know, it was the... I guess so. The theater. Because he got super charmed at the success of his work once he did cut all her hair off. And she looked amazing. To the point where he asked her out. So. Jen, you and I were talking a bit before the podcast about how this probably spawned a, a generation of pixie cuts um, that didn't look <laughs> as good on everyone as they did on Audrey Hepburn. We did. And it makes me sad how often this happens in film or TV, where it's like, I must have that haircut. And then people realize that they don't have faces that are shaped like Audrey Hepburn's <laughs> alien head and you know i was thinking about this lately because like last month or whatever in january we were when did the fuck did what is time anymore when did bridgerton come out was that this year or last year 2017 you know it's been a while but whenever bridgerton came out on netflix i was like my god thank goodness this is like the era of streaming and people have their little instagram influencers (laughs) to look to and cut their hair into mullets instead Because those parted baby bangs (laughs) that the chick on Bridgerton was wearing, like she was pulling it off. (laughs) I when Samantha said 2017, I had a moment where I was like, "Damn, time flies!" (laughs) Oh, I'm proud of getting that that one passed. The the baby bangs. What? Oh no, go ahead. I was just going to ask you your hair thoughts and you're prepared to launch into them anyway. Yes, I am. Well, let me tell you, as someone who was equally obsessed with um, Sabrina, Audrey Hepburn, and Amelie, the hit French movie Amelie, Mm. they both have that kind of similar hairstyle. And so me, a blonde girl with extremely curly, frizzy hair, got the same haircut and um, <laughs> shenanigans did ensue. This was during freshman year of college. Um, I cut my hair short. Oh, that's the same year I did bangs too. Oh, like I, I had Jen. I mean, like they were, they were nearly to my hairline. They were so short. I mean, they were like baby, 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 infant, <laughs> oh, premature, <laughs> newborn bangs. Um, and then a pixie cut. And also unrelated to that, I had a dying mishap. So my hair was also carrot orange and red. So rough Perfect. times at Ridgemont High, <laughs> let me tell you. Um, but th- the thing about Audrey Hepburn is that it just, it works with her hair. Like the Bridgerton girl, Daphne, absolutely not. Those bangs were a, were a crime. They were, they were, a, they were a war crime. <laughs> But Audrey Hepburn, and like that, (laughs) Uh, Audrey Hepburn, 
I don't know what it was. Like, you know, it's hard to like, I guess, predict icon status. It's something about the thickness of her brows and the hugeness of her eyeballs. Like, it really just didn't fucking matter what she did on her head. It was gonna look she was gonna look good, you know? Yeah, they should test that. Like- <laughs> she should walk around with like a like a dead fish, like strapped to her head with a suspender or something. I mean, like, might as well. That like asymmetrical hat she wore at the end of this movie was like not something that other people could have worn successfully. The, the Bridgerton girl heroically, like I feel like pulled off those bangs, even though they looked horrible because I feel like they served to make her look convincingly younger as they wanted her to for the plot you know yeah oh god how much you want to bet they're gonna be gone by next season she's gonna have like good looking hair because clearly that actor is gonna get other jobs right and like <laughs> not want to have this bangs. all anymore. her roles will require <laughs> she'll have to bring the baby bangs to every single role she does she plays like a hard-boiled uh detective in in a pretty crime thriller baby bangs. yeah she goes to like uh like wipe her hair out of her face with her knuckle but then she's like oh i forgot my hair's not even in my face because i have baby bangs (laughs) (laughs) well in addition to spawning a lot of hairstyles uh i promise we should get back to the barbers soon but i also wanted to ask you both if this was the movie that spawned a generation of uh straight white girls doing semesters abroad in italia or was our romance with Italy already well set I, I by mean, then. I'm sure. Like, well, first of all, without Roman Holiday, we would not have the Lizzie McGuire movie. So that in itself, I mean. <laughs> and so if you track if you track the Roman Holiday to Lizzie McGuire movie to Rome exchange students pipeline, I, it's clear. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you, you were going to say pipeline. <laughs> and and you, you you landed it. Oh my god. Yeah. Just her with her little gelato and her at the Trevi fountain and her The way that you, know, you said gelato at, at, at the cafe. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I think what infuriates me the most about Instagram influencers' participation in Italy, and this will tie into some of our comments on this episode about like, you know, body image and and that kind of thing, is I feel like a certain kind of like straight white girl influencer goes to Italy, which is a place where you should fucking indulge the shit out of yourself, you know, like eat a mountain of pasta and like four scoops of gelato and yet the image they present of it is like i am but a delicate bird who tries tiny little (laughs) treats you know um and it's frustrating to me to think of all the all the airfare wasted to ferry this influencer class to italy to like pose with things that they don't actually want to consume They waste Uh, their opportunity. I would say even more insultingly, like, because the thing is now, yeah, it's like, it's, it's changed over, like, from, I mean, less that, like, I'm not going to consume it, but that people falsely pretend that they are consuming a lot of calories when they're actually not. Mm. So I would say that your influencer of today would be, like, posting a picture with, like, a platter of pasta that was, like, the size of that weird 
good spaghetti platter in the movie we watched week before last. <laughs> oh but God. but actually good pasta. But then they would like not partake of it actually. Yeah. You know? <laughs> They'd be like, oh my God, I ate this whole thing. <laughs> and then oh, the clock chimed in again. Sorry. <laughs> and then, you know, cut to them having the waiter box it up and then they throw it out on the way back to their hotel room, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I hate how right you are, Jen. That's definitely what's happening. It's like performative consumption that's not actually consumption, but they want to seem relatable by consuming or appearing to have consumed. There's so many layers to it. (laughs) It's dizzying. Oh my God. So to throw it back, that's what I said within like the first two minutes though of Roman Holiday when they went to that scene where uh, Audrey Hepburn as Princess Anne is in like full regalia having to do this endless receiving line of diplomats and she's like slipping her foot out of her shoe to wiggle it around you know and then like and it's I just said out loud, I was like, oh my God, the people of 1953 must have been just like fucking desperate for some stars. They're just like us. And that's why this movie was such a hit. Because was that even a thing before then? Or they also had foot fetishes, you know? That should, you know, that foot fe- maybe but- <laughs> that foot shot was very like, oh, all right, we're going under the It was dress. like, it kept like going back and then it was like, oh, let's show it again. Oh, let, oh, now she's feeling for the shoe. She's lost the shoe. She's lost it. Like, yeah. <laughs> Sadie, have you been to Roma? I have not. <laughs> it was. <laughs> I have unfortunately never left the United States. We'll change that. Get me out of this hellhole. Oh, oh yeah. Over the course of the podcast, I'm sure. But yeah, Sadie is going to become a travel influencer as soon as the pandemic is over. R.I.P. Our podcast. Sadie is going to be busy (laughs) influencing. um, (laughs) I one time a few years ago, my mom, my mom and the rest of my family, it was a home alone situation. Almost. My mom was in uh, Key West, Florida. Or she was camping on a on a remote little kind of island off the coast, like in the Keys. Um, and I was going to fly there and meet her because I didn't want to stay for like the whole time. She was going to be staying there for like three weeks or whatever. So um, to get the cheapest flight, my mom booked me on a flight for um, 5 a.m. two hours away because I live I live two hours away from um, the nearest like in like national airport. So I I couldn't sleep. How old were you at this point? I couldn't sleep. I was what? Let's see. I think I was eight, 18, 19, maybe. I wasn't like young. But so my so at 1 a.m. my dad I I did not sleep. You know I. I didn't sleep the night before, didn't sleep leading up to it. At 1 a.m., my dad drives me to this shitty shuttle bus, right? And I get on and I and I drive the two hours to the airport. And then I'm waiting there in the airport. I get on. It's like a two-hour flight to Miami. I did I don't sleep the whole time. And then I have to run. Literally, I literally I was at like I was at like port gate a and i had to get to gate z so i ran the entire length of the miami (laughs) airport i my shoe gets covered in blood because i was wearing white sneakers and they 
I was just, and I don't know why they just started rubbing. So anyway, my shoe filled with blood. I get to the gate and then I board this super teeny little tiny aircraft that takes me to the Keys. And at this point, I haven't slept for like 36 hours, perhaps. And I get there and my mom picks me up with my with my two uncles. And she's like, let's go and get some some lunch, right? And I look like you can just imagine what I look like. And so they took me to get some food and I'm sitting there in the Mexican restaurant and I just like nod off like into my rice. And then they, at the end of the meal, they like wake me up and they drag me to the car. And then I nod off and I woke up six hours later still in the car at the campsite and I was like what the fuck where am I (laughs) (laughs) but at some point during that whole experience I remember thinking this is the most fun I've ever had I want to do this again immediately (laughs) (laughs) at about 30 hours in of no sleep I was like you know what this is actually the best I've ever felt And that Sadie's ready. She's ready. (laughs) (laughs) You can be like a stressful travel influencer where it's just like, oh, my flight's delayed. Oh, I've got to run across the airport. God damn, my shoe is filled with blood. Well, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) I still, I was weirdly attached to those shoes because I had them. They were just like $5 sneakers that I got from Walmart like four or five years prior and I had taken them to like nine different states I had hiked in the Grand Canyon with them on they were like Ked type sneakers and they were already falling apart by the time I got there and I my mom looks over at me at the campsite and I have them in my hands they're stained red in places from my blood and I'm duct taping the soul because the soul had like ripped out and my mom just like took them out of my hand and threw them in the trash for me and I was devastated she had to do it but it was devastating and that's That's what a mom's gotta do sometimes (laughs) (laughs) you just start saying that after everything um, they're like, oh my God. Though, so, thinking about Roman holiday and what a mom's got to do, right? Okay. So obviously the actual rulers of this fictional country that is definitely not supposed to be England in Roman holiday. Cordovia. <laughs> do not send the uh, Cordovia. Thank you. They send this, that troop of men in identical black suits with the little like distinctive white pocket squares and hats. Yeah. Was pretty amazing. It reminded me of the early Darren Aronofsky movie, uh, Pie, in which somebody is uh, like coming dangerously close to like figuring out the golden mean or some sort of number that explains the universe. And he is pursued by a bunch of like guys in suits um so you know maybe aronofsky mm. was doing acid while watching roman holiday when he wrote pie that's m- gonna be my i have fan theory. never seen aronofsky's pie 
But one of my friends in high school, when we were both 15, had the soundtrack to the movie Pie. And behind a slightly translucent pie symbol, it had like the digits of pie listed out like into the multi, multi thousands. And she started memorizing them. And by the time we were 15, she was up to 336 of them. I believe by the time we graduated high school, she could do more than 700. Where if you asked her, like she would get fucked up if you stopped her in the middle, but she could like... Like 3.141516. Like, you know, like, like just go on and on and on and on and on. And that's all thanks to without Darren Aronofsky's movie pie. Without Googling, and who among us do you think <laughs> can recite the most digits of pie right now? Well, I've got three digits. <laughs> so oh, I I'm thought you were saying you have the number three. <laughs> like you've got the first <laughs> The first one. I feel like I want to say, but I I really have no clue this is accurate. 3.1415, is it it 2.675? I I think it's 3.1415962540. And that's, I think, all I've got, but I. No, you definitely sound more accurate to me than I do. Not just. I'm going off of, yeah, like 20 year old (laughs) memories of of listening to my friend like pop off through this. Not to sound like BBC Sherlock. But I don't have room in my brain for that shit. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Honestly, Sadie, like three is close enough, you know? Like, who needs the right diameter? That's actually, of a it's way better. Yeah. It's. I just call it nobody three. Nobody cares. It's like cooking. No, you but. Know? You don't need the exact <laughs> amount of garlic or whatever. Three. I'm not oh, making gosh. circles in my spare time. <laughs> <laughs> I love where this has taken us. Sadie, I feel like you would have strong feelings about Darren Aronofsky. Is that right? Well, um, who is that? (laughs) And I'm sure I do have strong Uh, feelings. Pi, the fountain, mother, exclamation point. Ah. Ah. Well, let me tell you. Did you do Requiem for a Dream? (laughs) I I liked the fountain, but except like that women were kind of like, you know, plot devices in it. <laughs> so I have, I'm looking at his, at his films. I have seen Black Swan, wasn't impressed. Hot Take, oh, wasn't impressed. Okay. Um, oh, I got a Black Swan. That's my Christmas movie. Damn. <laughs> I, I have, I have not seen Mother Yet, I, for some reason, it happened that I was hanging out with my best friend, Elliot, and also now roommate. And we were hanging out and then we diverged onto separate paths for an afternoon in which I went shopping and then went to a pizza parlor and he went alone to an empty theater and saw Mother. And then we converged back at the pizza parlor. And for the next roughly hour, he gave me a frame by frame summary of what mother was about. So I've physically, I haven't seen mother, but spiritually and emotionally, I have seen mother and I hate it. I feel like someone <laughs> giving you a scene by scene breakdown of what happens in Mother is maybe the only way you can have a more excruciating film experience than watching the film Mother itself. <laughs> I, 
I don't understand. Like, is so like serious question? Is Darren Aronofsky Christian? Like markedly Christian? Because he also did Noah. Is that not correct? Oh my God! Where Russell Crowe was fucking Noah? I forgot about yes. that. Is that how that went down? Like, and he just gets in wow. a fist fight with the ocean. He's like, "Don't where you Russell dare Crow flood the planet ocean?" Is, no, Russell with Crow the is rain, not even the ocean. <laughs> where he's I mean, I meant it as an adjective, not a verb, but (laughs) sure. I would be interested to read the recap of that movie as well because I'm not going to watch either of them. Let's be real now. I don't know if he's super Christian. I think sometimes, like, auteur filmmakers just reach a certain point where they're like, Welp, I guess I have to, like, make a Bible story now because I have become God. <laughs> and I only I can be the author a- of this now. Yeah. It creeped me out when, again, be, like, just paying attention to, like, gossip about people's lives and, like, not their actual work at all. When he split up with uh, Rachel Weiss, like, perfect human who all of us should aspire to be with. And got with his new, uh, younger at the time, used Jennifer Lawrence temporarily. And then put her in a movie where I she's could, yeah. like tortured by everyone and her baby gets like torn apart. You know, that's like, yeah. that's, that's had some weird heterosexual kinks right there. It's like, that's, that's fucking cast weird, your man. girlfriend in your movie and torture her. <laughs> like, <laughs> your much younger girlfriend who, you know, yeah, mm, that's, that's something that happened. Oh, but damn, Black Swan. Oh, man. Sorry. I mean, it really is like terrible in all the ways of like some dude making a movie about ballet, you know, like, you. but you know, like if you fucking grew up in ballet, just that part where she's like literally dying at the end and then she's just like, I was perfect. And then it's just like... Don't her shoes fill with blood in that movie at some point, too? Is is that a a Sadie Black Swan point? (laughs) What? (laughs) Well, that's just kind of life when you're dancing a lot, you know? (laughs) It's life. (laughs) And that's Roman Holiday. And Uh, that's Roman Holiday. (laughs) (laughs) About the barber. I was on the fence about the barber. And then he, he was dancing with her. And I wanted your input because I actually thought this was kind of like weirdly endearing in a sort of off-putting way. But when he starts fixing her hair while dancing with her, I was like, this is either repulsive or extremely hot. I unfortunately fall into the the latter camp where I thought it was kind of extremely hot. (laughs) I... You know me. I like kind of okay, the antagonistic, I'll take the opposite position just to act, you know, vibes. And I, 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 I like that he he seems to like click with her. It was like fun. Like they had fun in the barbershop. Um, coincidentally, my TV is showing me the barbershop scene right now. And he's also very cute in the barbershop scene. Like he's, he's hot. He's cute. And he's like, oh, you must be a model yeah. or an artist or a musician. Like it's very fun. You know, I'm going to give you that because like I'm, you know, I'm sort of middle of the fence, but I'm going to take the opposite position because this is what our podcast is all about as the other other guysiness. (laughs) (laughs) 
to say, like I already mentioned, he was really aggro. He did not like the idea of her wanting to cut all her hair off before he did it at her insistence. And then he gets so charmed with like his own artwork that he's into her. So then I was like, then he's all like, oh, you must be. He says all the nice things about how she must be an artist or a musician. And I'm sort of like, mm means a little less to me after you were kind of being a little bit, you know, Vidagra Crete before, my man. And then on the dance floor, like Samantha said, that God, that really is such a, hmm, what a like, you know, chiaroscuro level move there. Like this could be like really great or really bad, depending on how the person it is done to perceives it. Like, you know, there are no shades of gray there. Um, What I like about it is it shows that he's got something else going on. You know, he clearly thinks she's cute, but he's a particular man with a particular set of interests, (laughs) like Christian Gray. And he wants to take her to his back room and show show her all his buzzers and, and clippers, you know? Okay. Like, and I'm with Sadie that in the moment, in the way it's shown in the movie on that dance floor. I think it was really cute. Even though my spouse literally screamed, ooh, no, stop, stop parting her bangs, like in the middle of it, okay? So that's his opinion registered. I thought that that was kind of cute then, but also this raised a major red flag to me of if she were to, you know, interact with the barber going forward. Like, when do you get a say about your own bangs then, you know? Yeah. What if you're just trying to do something and he's like, oh, no, 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 no. It's time for me to change your hair. Like, uh, he feels a little bit proprietary towards her as like a creation in a way that could be cute, but also could not be very cute. Can I say, I feel like in the 1950s, They had very different concepts of like individuality. Like if you look at a yearbook from the 1950s, they all got the same fucking haircut. Like same way that they styled it, (laughs) same top, same shoes, same goofy ass senior quotes. Like you know what I mean? I, and I'm saying this as someone who um, I can still vividly remember reading through my grandma's, my granny's yearbook, yearbook in high school. And I was like, damn, this is depressing um and so i don't exactly know where i was going we with won't that, tell but i feel granny. like it's like you know there was like the way to style your bangs you know and like the way to do this and like what was cool at the time and like everyone just did that and like i know that trends still exist in that fashion now but back then it was like ubiquitous Do you know, do you agree? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I feel like now everyone is trying, there's still trends, but also there's a large subset of people who are trying to look as though they're not following any trends, which is how you end up with like people who have some kind of like combination, like mullet, like then really long on top and then like undercut on one side. And it's like, what's even going on on your head anymore at this point? You're just trying to butt against like four trends at once. And as a result, you have like a like a weird discarded mop on your head, you know? Anyway, not, not to get too angry about it. But Jen, I agree with you that it could easily become a phantom thread situation. I think I said that on our Discord, patreon.com slash YSSTOG for more stunning insights like that one. But yeah, it could become a thing like where he's like, no, your hair grew a quarter of a millimeter overnight. Come here. I must 
fix it before I can even look at you at the breakfast table. Yeah. So I feel like the barber is a little bit of a wild card there. Also, though, in his favor, he did tell her the cool place to go dance. Yeah. He can be a more authentic Roman guide than expat, you know, Gregory Peck, who is just like, "Uh, I don't know, have you been a Trevi Fountain? Uh, That's cool. You know, like... (laughs) He knows some cooler <laughs> spots, probably, than, than our boy. Um, okay, so the barber definitely knows the coolest spots. But let's talk about the most fun guy in the whole film, the photographer, Irving. Irving! Mm. What is his name? Like Irving Radovich? Yeah. So I have a feeling if Sadie and I were more team Barber than you, Jen, that I'm going to be less team Irving than the consensus opinion here. Samantha, you are not super as charmed by like uh, an easygoing, wacky guy who is sleeping with like at least 37 women around town. Yeah, because I <laughs> like more neurotic freaks <laughs> like the Barber. <laughs> But uh, I'll leave it to my betters to explore Irving's charms. Would you like to go first, Jen, in talking about Irving? I would like to hear what you have to say first, Sadie, actually. Carrie Well, forth. so I'm not very much sold on Irving with Anne, um, just because I don't know if their personalities quite vibe in the same way, or shall I say well, well as well. As Gregory Peck and Anne. However, As Irving, Mushroom Well is Gregory as, Peck and Anne. <laughs> as Mushroom Well as in Gregory Peckable. <laughs> <laughs> this is the dark incantation of my soul. We, <laughs> we have no brain cells left at this point. That was, that was the seance. That was the incantation. Gregory Peck's ghost is here with me now. Uh, hello, Greg. It's good to have you on the podcast. Uh, Sadie, I died um, of pneumonia. I'm glad he's uh, turned up to recommend Irving. I don't know why he sounds like Obama, but... Um, anyway, anyway, anyway. I when, when Irving comes on screen, every time I watch this movie, and especially this time around, because it's been over a year since I've, it's been a while since I've seen this movie, um, Irving literally looks like every news journalism bro that I went to, J, to the J school with at Mizzou. Like he looks, you know, like Gregory Peck has such a 1950s look about him. Irving looks like you just plucked him out of, you know, out of J2150 at Mizzou and threw him into a 1953 movie. Like he looks like a hipster. It's shocking to me. Yeah. (laughs) I agree. So Sadie and I were also texting about this earlier that, and even with Gregory, Gregory Peck is styled more heavily for the period. Irving? Irving could walk by you on the street tomorrow and depending on your mood and your level of like heterosexuality you might be like oh hey he's kind of cute or you might just not notice him at all. Um, Gregory Peck you would definitely regardless of your level of heterosexuality if you walked by him on the street tomorrow you'd be like oh hey he's kind of cute yeah you know yeah but <laughs> Irving today would be like a white hipster guy living in Atlanta like working as a camera guy on like reality shows and the occasional movie 
you know, if if we're tra- transporting Irving into the present, <laughs> that's where I'm going to place him. Yeah. Okay. But like to sing Irving's praises in the context of Roman holiday right now, which I am taking it upon myself to do. So like Sadie said, I must concur that he is probably not the best match for Princess Anne. They live in very different realities, you know, but they have very good friend vibes. He's the one who gives her the cute nickname Smitty when she says that her last surname is like Anya Smith or whatever. And he's like, okay, Smitty, you know, and just rolls with it. And that's a large part of Irving's charm is that he just rolls with stuff. Gregory Peck fucking violently abuses this man throughout this movie. He keeps hurling beverages on him. He trips him. He knocks his chair over. He like does like many things that would like piss off a normal person to the point where they would be like, absolutely fuck you. I am not working with you or even talking to you again. But Irving is like, well, and of course, again, tying into the, you know, kind of bro-ish. So, you know, Irving has a bit of the himbo about him. He's like, well, okay, all right, we're good again. Here we go. But somehow, via his weird little lighter camera, he manages to take the most gloriously framed and flattering images, like candid images, that have ever been taken of this princess. Absolutely nuts. That little move at the bar where he's like... You stand in front of me and then step aside and I'll flash and then you, he's talented at his craft. He would make a great paparazzo. Oh, and then when he, when he saw, when she bashed the secret service member of her own country over the head with the guitar and he missed it the first time, he's like, oh, Smitty, hit him again. And then he gets the shot, you know? Oh my God. And he also completely abandoned all his plans to, to drive them around all day and everything. And he, well, okay, wait. I was trying to decide really quickly what order I'm going to put this in. What I'm going to, so, okay. We're going to roll back that, you know, Irving, once he, he thought that, you know, when he first meets Gregory Peck and the princess, he thinks that Gregory Peck's trying to give him the hint to fucking leave, that he's, that Gregory Peck is on a date with our gal. So he's got to go. So he's trying to leave, but Gregory Peck's just trying to give him the hint. No, I need you here to take pictures of her so we can take advantage of her. So Irving, in spite of having been, you know, like insulted and, uh, you know, injured by his friend at least three times in that morning, is like, okay, I'll do it, and cancels his date. Spends a great day charming both of them and driving around behind them everywhere and photographing the, that wild Vespa ride. And then, so anyway, He's he's put all in all this effort. He knows he's like he's supposed to be in on this payday for a certain amount of money. But then when Gregory Peck decides that he's not going to do it after all, Irving just goes along with him. Yeah, I would be pissed. As a yeah. Capricorn, I realize it's stereotypical that I just want the money, but like that was going to be $5,000, bro, you know? They both needed that money desperately. And like how much would $5,000 be back then? Like that would be just like an insane amount of money now. You could buy like the state of New Jersey for $5,000 in 1953 or something like that. <laughs> actually look up how Irving much that is like <laughs> Irving is such like a weirdly noble himbo that he not only stays quiet while Gregory Peck is like my turning goodness, down the editor who's trying to give them the five thousand dollars holy oh, my shit. fucking god oh my god are you serious yeah. and then Gregory Peck's like well I can't stop you from selling the photos and Irving's like well I know you can't oh. <laughs> 
Excuse me. Fuck that then. I rescind my my uh, Gregory Peck is the other guy. He left $50,000 on the table. I would throw out any journalistic scruples I had for $50,000 for sure. Well, that's yeah, the weird. I honestly yeah. hope Irving sold those photos for at least something because like, holy the fuck shit. Like then, then when they're at the very end before Gregory Peck stands there for like 8 million years and it is his long, long walk away under the arched ceiling. Irving like gives the printouts of the photos to Anne as a souvenir that was sweet but then presumably is not selling her out i guess irving must be irving must not be as much in the hole as gregory peck as joe bradley was because he's got an apartment that has a balcony irving has like lady friends all over town i don't know maybe irving is just handling his his biz better than joe bradley was yeah pictures are worth a thousand words as, as they say i'm <laughs> But like, what the fuck? Okay, if that was like the equivalent of fifty thousand dollars, and he was he was gonna give Irving like twelve fifty of the of the five thousand or whatever. That's still a, such an enormous amount of money. How well is Irving doing that he can overlook that? Sadie, did they teach you that at Mizzou? Were they like responsible journalism matters unless someone offers you fifty thousand dollars, in which case do whatever. <laughs> I, you know, everybody's going to live in this economy. <laughs> I took I took many moral moral journalism classes, you know, and to me they were never extremely clear about things. Like I I oh gosh, I won't get into it. But yeah, they would they would say that you're not supposed to like film, you know, like be writing down stuff without someone's knowledge and like, you know, publish it without someone's knowledge. But obviously, that can't always be done. Yeah. (sighs) Damn. But know what, if you get a $50,000 for a scoop? Yeah. (laughs) How do you approach this? Do you go to your subject and be like, look, I owe two months back rent, and I need this 50 thou. Can you do this for me? Like... (laughs) Or do you just uh, follow them without their consent? That's that's sort of this exact scenario you would need if you were Joe Bradley in this movie. Yeah, he's just gonna... I I don't know what's gonna happen to him. His editor is probably gonna kill him or like, you know, send the mafia after him for being too in debt to him. Oh, okay. Like, not to take it back to Leap Year again, like, you know, but I wondered about <laughs> Actually, that too. Actually, I can't okay. do it. I can't. <laughs> I we have to, I don't want to talk about it. Sadie, how did he save his kitchen? I've been tortured. I never even thought about it. Like, oh, how? Anyway, somehow Joe Bradley is going to survive. But how? Like, this princess bitch doesn't even have any money. She took his money, which was actually his landlord's money that he borrowed. Joe Bradley is walking out of this movie in substantially more debt than he even entered it in. I, what Jen, you are me? really risking Sadie's wrath bringing up Lee. <laughs> Sorry. I'm sorry. I was just worried about his kitchen. I mean, Jesus. Moving on. Sadie, how how does it feel that even after our leap year revisiting, people continue to slander leap year? I, the amount, real talk, the amount of rage that I consistently felt that week was unparalleled. (laughs) I Thank <laughs> you.
And that was the Sadie Rage song for moments when Sadie becomes rageful. (laughs) And it it calmed me down. It was like a tranquilizer. (laughs) I like slumped back. I slumped back in my chair. (laughs) Um, What? Testing. Do I still sound at a normal volume? Yeah. Okay, good. I made a minor, uh, maybe minor, uh, wild arm motion while trying to cover up my mouth to not laugh during the Sadie song that knocked my microphone into my lap and then it kind of got, you know. Anyway, we are. You'll be pleased to know. We are ready to record now. Corey wanted to overhear these moments. And so I had a signal where um, I had to go uh, caca in my apartment. I had to mute myself and make a crow noise so that Corey could run over here and uh, hear the City Rage song live. I, well, first of all, I need both of these sent to me immediately. Immediately, right now. <laughs> As is your right, as I, the vocalist. I love them. They're so good. I, all rage has dissipated Your masters can't stay with your producer. I have entered a state of zen, and I will now talk about the financial troubles of Gregory Peck in Roman Holiday. And here's what I'll Perfect. say. I feel like if you are a rich person who's running around with clearly what is a poor person, because he is a poor person in this movie, (laughs) you have a moral, spiritual, and social duty to give them like $50,000 for putting up with your ass. Like, (laughs) I love her. She's very charming in this movie, but holy shit. If I had to cart this woman around all day... I, I would need $50,000. I don't care where the $50,000 comes from. I prefer it be from her directly rather than selling her, you know, her shit online. But well, not online. The internet didn't exist at this point. But to tabloids. <laughs> but I need compensation. Like, I just feel like it is negligent on her behalf to just be like, Oh, I'm going away forever after I used your resources and took up all of your time for like two days. And now I'm just going to go back to being insanely rich with my rich person problems and none of my shoes fit and they're all uncomfortable even though I have the money to get specialty made shoes that are much more comfortable than this anyway yeah (laughs) he deserved at least six grand for teaching her what pajamas are you know she yeah she is like a newborn baby who just needs to be taught how to eat and and bathe Uh, herself that like the elegance that he did the blanket flip also it doesn't hurt that like audrey hepburn was like a trained ballet dancer and i'm sure also contributed to that and was not just like a limp uh floppy body in a blanket but (laughs) 
Who was the stunt <laughs> coordinator damn. for that, you know? <laughs> right? Like, oh, Samantha, I don't have quite your vitriol for Marvel, but I gotta say, better than any Marvel fight scene. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, the, the, the hits with the guitar felt palpable. There was escalating tension, a clear resolution. It wasn't just like, I don't know, people like punching laser beams into each other for half an hour they cut around too fast i really wanted to be into that elevator fight scene with captain america so much but i just like want to be able to see what actually happens in the fight scene from like a sustained point of view for like at least a few seconds you know yeah well are we all in unanimous agreement that gregory peck is the true other guy we i mean I, yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay, so wait, let's let's sidebar into here though, into another little celebrity gossip. This is why it's so funny and amazing. I mean, in an incredibly inexpert view, but in an other guy fashion, right? So this movie came out in 1953. Uh, so Queen Elizabeth would have already been, and see, look, I love celebrity gossip probably more than the next person, but my uh, body of knowledge really only goes back to like mm, the 80s and that's still like I can be surprised by a lot of stuff I learned by then you know the late 90s and on are where I'm at so I really don't know any shit about what's going down back in the day until I started reading the recaps of the crown that have been coming out like filling us all in about what's going on with the royal family to catch up with what was happening with you know Harry and Meghan in the modern era and so anyway, Queen Elizabeth, right, her younger sister, Margaret, definitely fell in love with a divorced commoner. But then she was like, no, you can't be with him and made her break off her great love. And it was all traumatic or whatever. And Queen Elizabeth had a daughter named Anne who was born in 1950. And like, it seems pretty obvious that this movie in 1953 that's casting a British woman using her own accent and is like, anyway, apparently, I don't know. I, I really didn't even read this myself, but my spouse was hollering at me while we were watching he was like why was Queen Elizabeth such a bitch about this and I was like oh probably because this movie weirdly named their character after her daughter and then he's like oh my god so anyway yeah this movie went like when her daughter was a toddler and <laughs> made a movie about a princess like getting like wildly improper and like smooching up on a commoner and then it was like you know sort of like a, <laughs> a hit about her own sister having done that and that which she wishes that would not have happened and she could erase from people's memories but the character is named after her then three-year-old daughter. And so anyway, apparently uh, Queen Elizabeth flipped out and said that they had to make it clear that the Princess Anne in this movie was not from England, hence Cordovia. <laughs> the only thing wilder than celebrity gossip is royal family gossip, where it's like, you know, Princess uh, uh, d uh, whoever wore her brooch tilted 15 degrees to the right and that means that <laughs> she hates the other royal who hosted the Christmas party or something you know it's like it's weird it's weird it's fucking insane except it got really like super super obvious when uh, Meghan Markle came into the family because then it wasn't the princess wore her brooch tilted 15 degrees to the right it was the princess wore some gross caricature of a black person from like slavery days to meet the biracial new wife of the prince for the first time and then it's like Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Whew. Anyway, but yeah, they're they're pretty fucking nasty to each other, you know. Yeah. You can have all that money and still just be mean, which is why Gregory Peck will be okay. Mm, Gregory Peck. 
Should we rate Roman holiday, friends? I think we shall. Yeah. Um, I'll go ahead and go first. I will give it, um, ah, well, here's my thing. I'll give it four and a half arm eating ancient Italian statues out of five because I, I love the pacing. I love the scenery. I love that it was shot on location. Um, I, I think that the casting of Audrey Hepburn and Gregory Peck together impeccable. I'm so glad that they didn't go with anyone else for Joe's role. I think they had wonderful chemistry. I love that so much was left unsaid because it, it, makes so much sense for the characters to leave all of that unsaid. I personally like to think that at some point in the near future, they somehow end up together or they reconnect later on down the line. Um, that's just me because you know how I am. Um, but ah, I, I understand that this movie wouldn't be what it is if they had ended up together, but I can't help but feel like I wanted a little... I wanted a little Easter egg that they would eventually meet again. Um, but otherwise, perfect. Wonderful movie. The Vespa ride, better than any sex scene. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was going to give this movie two and a half milks and two and a half crackers. And then I remembered while recording this episode that when when I went to Rome, not on a semester abroad, uh, I um, ate cacio e pepe that was served in a bowl of Parmesan cheese that had been briefly put on the like flat top grill and shaped into a bowl shape. And then the cacio e pepe was served inside that cheese bowl. And listener, I, I ate the entire thing. And that is Roman Holiday. It's just one <laughs> big, beautiful bowl of cheesy pasta served within cheese. Damn. I mean, but in black and white. Yes. And it you can see it in black and white in Anthony Bourdain's show, like before he was on Parts Unknown or whatever. He had some other show and he went to that place and it's filmed in, in glorious black and white there because he was doing like homage to Italian cinema or whatever. A fact that I learned after I ate at the restaurant and went back to the hotel and was like, that was really good. And I Googled it and then saw Anthony Bourdain in black and white eating the exact same thing I had eaten and felt very lucky that I had stumbled upon this place by accident. Tell us what it tasted like. Just like, uh, just like pure indulgence. It tasted like going to sleep in the hotel after, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> you're just making us jealous, Samantha. You're not sharing the experience. Use your adjectives now. <laughs> um, the way that the spice of the pepper cuts through the fat of the cheese is a perfect dish. Cachoe pepe is not super multidimensional. It's just two things. And sometimes that's all you need. It's not haute cuisine. It is It is just like straight to the heart, uh, good, uh, common fare, you know? I love cheese like more than any food. And so that just really touched my heart, Samantha. I'm, I wanted to let you know. I'm glad. <laughs> God, Thank I'm you so for pressing me to about cheese. do my best food writing. <laughs> uh, you know, 
I like to think of something like cutesy to do the rating for, but this movie is just a hard one to rate for me. Like I thought up several options, you know, while you guys were talking, but like on my personal taste of movies and when I saw this at my life and when we are in history, like this is just in my personal brain scale, what I felt it was like a three out of five on hitting me because like it's, you know, it's really good. It's like a masterpiece, but just like in February, 2021 in the United States, even though you do like you, you want to empathize with the royal with a terrible schedule it's just hard when she like is like oh can you give me some money because i never carry money and like everything just happens perfectly for her and then she just has a great day with gregory peck and then you know so i i just really don't know how to rate it right now (laughs) just knock a secret service member over the head with an acoustic guitar while grinning out of five (laughs) and then swim to shore and shiver a little bit after out of five that's beautiful. That's like a E.E. E. Cummings poem is is a rating. <laughs> <sighs> I'm glad that you appreciate it, Samantha. Well, uh, Jen, what should people do to our filthy little podcast? Well, if they like our filthy little podcast and they want to hear a little more about it, they can go follow us on Twitter uh, at YSSTOG. Or you can email us if you want to like enter into like a torrid, long form pen pal affair that takes us a long time to respond to. You can email us at YSSTOGpodcast at gmail.com. I said it right, Sadie. Right. YSSTOGpodcast at gmail. That is correct. Perfect. And our Patreon, uh, where you can donate a little money to keep us in streaming services so that we do not, you know, bankrupt ourselves or have to turn to dastardly piracy deeds to watch all these movies. And you can talk to us and also, like, force us to, you know, select other movies to watch it for future can be found at patreon.com slash YSSTOG as Samantha mentioned earlier in the podcast. And this was a this was a Nora Tier selection, if I'm not mistaken. Ah it was from Sharon. Uh, yes. Sharon. Oh Sharon. And Sadie, uh how, how would you like to be pumped up to shout out our patrons? Mushroom Well, Lord of Darkness, or Beat the Shit Out of You? Ooh, I think I'll go with Mushroom <laughs> Well for this one. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Hello, I I'll go ahead and say our patron our Patreon's names, patrons' names during the vibes of this song. Um, thank you so much to our patrons, Logan, Andrew, Althea, Xenalon, Sharon, Justin, and Evan. Thank you so much. <laughs> Sadie, I can't believe you did that. I was about to fucking lose it while the song was still playing. (laughs) And you had to just talk like everything was normal. (laughs) And we'll have a classic take us out. I'm Sadie. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm Sadie. What holds me back from fully getting into the Lord of Darkness Darkness is glitter and vibes. Glitter and vibes. And I'm, I'm, I'm Sadie. Glitter and vibes. And I'm Sadie. Um, please actually clip this out of context. Thank you, Samantha. You musician, maybe. You artist. Huh? Painter? Mm. I know. You modella. <laughs>